On this episode, Chris and I are talking with Ryan Neeson from Elevate Brands about exiting your Amazon FBA business for a big payday. And this was a great conversation, Chris. Really. Yeah, he's fantastic. Full of information. Uh, a lot of questions we asked and it just kind of lays it out for you on what you need to do if you want to exit. Yeah. And he had a really cool story too. his story. He talks about the beginning about how he got into this space. Really neat. That's worth listening to just to see somebody come into the space and really dive in and go through everything they need to go through to learn the space. Uh, but then just everything. I mean, exiting is exciting to us right now. Um, that's what we, we keep saying it over and over again. But when we started, it wasn't even an option that we knew of. And no. now man, a multi-million dollar payout, that's that's so intriguing mm -hmm. for, for things that we've built. So great episode. Everyone tune in to our interview with Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone, brought to you by Solozo. Today, Chris and I have Ryan Neeson on with us from Elevate Brands, and we're going to be talking all about how to exit your Amazon business, which is a topic Chris and I are fascinated by right now. So, Ryan, you came on at the right time. Um, in fact, we just did a five-part series that was like every step of the Amazon process of building a business, and this is the last step, is exiting out of your business and then maybe wow. doing it again. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks very much. Great to, great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. We're, we're excited. We This is a, just a, a topic that we knew nothing about when we started our businesses in 2014, around there. I mean, it just didn't, it was these, everyone was starting side hustle businesses. It wasn't even a thought process that this could be something that people would want to buy. Uh, but now it's it's really, I mean, it's coming of age, so it's exciting to be a part of this. But before we jump into all that, why don't yeah. you tell everyone who's listening, give us a little bit about you. How did you get involved in this space, you know, and, and what you're doing with Elevate Brands right now? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so how did I get involved in the space? I My previous life was commodities trading. I was I worked mm. for a company called Glencore, uh, which is a Swiss-based a physical commodities trading company and so i was based out of there for a while and based out of indonesia for eight years and uh middle of 2016 i decided i'd had enough of kind of living on an airplane and you know uh you know buying commodities from asia and selling it to the rest of the world and i decided i'm going to move to the us and i had a few friends living in new york figured it would be exciting i had no idea it was blank canvas no idea what i was going to do and um but what i was looking for was a business to buy or a, or a business to start um, in, in, in like there were a handful of industries that I liked. E-commerce was one of them because I liked the kind of life, like the stage of the life cycle of the e-commerce industry. It wasn't right at the beginning. It wasn't mature. There was no sign that it would, that the growth was going to slow down or decline. Um, so there was, so there was a, so there was a, so there were a bunch of good reasons to get into e-commerce. Plus there was an, the element of trading physical products, which I, which I was kind of, which I liked and sort of drew, uh, you know, just I had an affinity for that, obviously, with my previous background. And so um, for whatever reason, I, I like the e-commerce space. Um, and and the other thing for me that consolidated, uh, you know, in particular Amazon was when I moved to the US, I had never bought anything on Amazon until 2016, right? Because <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in South Africa, there's no Amazon. Then I lived in Australia for 10 years at the time. 
when I left Australia in, two, in 2007, there was no Amazon yet. There is now. It's, it's growing. Uh, and anyway, Indonesia and Switzerland didn't have Amazon. So I came to the US and I bought something and two days later arrived and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen, right? And, you know, just and, and the selection. So whereas you guys got to kind of Amazon seasoned you over a couple of decades, for me, it was, wow, this is awesome. Um, and so it occurred to me that, that that was something exciting and I couldn't see how there was any way that trend was going to slow down. It was so obvious, it was, it was so obvious to me that that was a better buying experience than getting in a car, driving 30 minutes to a store, picking it out, driving home, you know, just, it was such a better experience. So, so I went to a couple of Amazon conferences and I went to several other conferences um, about other industries, but I went to a couple of these Amazon conferences um, and uh, and, you know, I met certain sellers in the industry and I went to a couple of like masterminds and a couple of like training courses and stuff. And I met all these people and I, and I found like there were some amazing little businesses here. There were people doing five and 10 and $20 million in revenue. And they were running it by themselves with three other people in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. uh, and it occurred to me that there's something really like exciting here and there's some real business opportunity here. And yet I never met anyone who was like, an ex-investment banker or a venture capital guy or a private equity guy. Like there was just, there, there wasn't that kind of sophisticated capital in though this is end of 2016, right? There wasn't that kind of sophisticated capital. So I told some of my buddies, I'm going to set up an Amazon business. Um, and my buddies, like the, 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 the unanimous feedback was you're absolutely nuts, right? I ran a $500 million trading desk. Now you're going to go start up a little side hustle. Like when you... And I said, you know what? I think there's something here. I think this is this industry will mature. I don't know when it will mature, but it's going to happen. And you know, they say sometimes you got to do what what you what you feel strongly about and wait for the wave to catch you. Um, and you know, the wave certainly caught us all in twenty in twenty twenty, right, with the pandemic. But um, but it didn't catch us for a few years, really. Uh, but what did happen was I just decided to experiment and test. And the initial the initial thesis for me was. Uh, to, to go and start acquiring some of these small Amazon sellers. Um, I, I always liked the idea of buying a business instead of starting a business, right? I always liked that idea because the risk reward profile is in your favor, right? The, the statistics for starting a business um, is dramatically, um, like for starting a business and being successful is like pretty low, right? I mean, we can talk about the numbers, but it's like, you know, in two years, it's in two years, it's like 50% of them succeed. And within 10 years, it's only like, you know, 4% or something. So, so, but the statistics of buying a business that's already running uh, and succeeding and already has product market fit uh, and then jumping into the pilot seat and then having a little handover period uh, and then hopefully growing that business, like the odds are more in your favor doing that uh, as long as you can raise some capital. Uh, so anyway, the initial thesis was let's go buy a few of these Amazon businesses. But we learned pretty quickly Amazon in those days wouldn't let you own multiple Amazon accounts. Right, and you could get special approvals in certain cases, but there were all these horror stories that your account could get shut down, and there was no recourse against Amazon. And so it occurred to me, like, to go raise money and pump it into a bunch of businesses in an industry that I don't know anything about yet, uh, in 2016, was very risky. And so I said, okay, well, let's start somewhere else. So there was the retail arbitrage model and the online arbitrage model, and then there was the wholesale model. And so I tested all of them, and I launched some of my own private label products all within 2017. I tested everything. Um, and some worked better than others. I mean, like the private label stuff was slow to get going. I could see there was good potential there. Um, but our wholesale and, and, and arbitrage business just kind of took off like a rocket. We were buying Adidas and Reebok and New Balance and Nikes, and we'd put it up for sale on Amazon and just like 
with the stuff, uh, average inventory turnover in the first kind of three months that we tested this was like, you know, average turnover was kind of like 30 days, making sort of 45% ROI on each on each purchase. So, so we looked at that and said, okay, well, you know, let's go raise a, you know, when I say we, it was myself in the early days, then I partnered with the guy, James Stein, who's co-founder today and COO, but I basically ran my business for a year without him. He had just then started his own Amazon business and we decided to kind of pair uh, paired together at the end of 2017 and uh, and and raise a little bit of capital uh, and and for the first two years that was what we really focused on we built a you know 15 million dollar reselling business buying wholesale closed out inventory from Adidas and Reebok and New Balance and that business model is still alive and well and you can absolutely go and do that you know go get go get your hands on some closeouts you know you know Adidas Ultra Boost at 70 percent off retail. Sell it on Amazon at twenty percent below retail. You can make a fantastic margin there, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so we took a very analytical, data-based approach to that, right? So we'd get these lists of hundreds of thousands of SKUs, and we would mine that list using a combination of software as well as manual analysis. So I would spend hours and hours and hours because software would to right would filter the list, and then I would spend hours and hours just analyzing SKU by SKU. Um, size by size, color by color, because a men's black size 11, you know, sells far better than a men's blue size 13, right? So, I mean, like, which, not just which style you pick, but which color and which size variation is important. You know, we use a bunch of data. You look at, and the great thing about Amazon is all this rich data that they provide to you, of course. Uh, And so we built a great little business. And I guess because that business was going so well, we kind of forgot to, we kind of forgot to go back to the reselling to, to, I'm sorry, to the, to the roll up uh, aggregation play. Uh, Not that we forgot, we knew it was there, but we, we were focused and, you know, we, we're always trying to balance this, this business principle of uh, focusing in what's in front of you and avoid the shiny penny that will distract you. Cause a lot of businesses die because the, the founders, you know, they see some success and they think, okay, well, great. Well, now let's go, let's go try 25 different things. And then you end up uh, mm-hmm. just kind of not doing anything and executing on anything well. So we decided to just focus really and, and grow that business. And then we hired some, some great people. One guy in particular, Spee, who came on as our head buyer, and he really took enormous amount of time off my plate. So he would then, rather than me sitting and, sl- you know, kind of analyzing skew by skew, Spee would do that. And so that then freed up my ben- my bandwidth to start looking at other opportunities within the Amazon landscape, and uh, and and of course we came back to the original idea, which is acquiring some of these Amazon businesses. Um, and you know it, it was just kind of serendipitous. At the same time as that, uh, we met Jeremy Bell, who today is our you know VP of M and A, uh, and he was kind of interested in this idea as well. And we then partnered up. And you know, a long story short, we we essentially in in um, in twenty in twenty nineteen, we decided to start buying Amazon businesses. Right now, this was still before the frenzy where a lot of other new guys had come in. We started, so we bought our first business in the fourth quarter of twenty nineteen. Uh, that was a success. Then we launched a brand uh, in May of twenty twenty, which you know took several months, obviously leading up to the launch, and that was an enormous success. Just launching a greenfield brand, and uh, and then you know second half of twenty twenty, we raised bunch of more capital started getting momentum and then 2021 really is when our business has taken off and you know bought 20 brands uh you know raised a bunch of money have built in a fantastic team and and now our sole focus is really you know acquiring amazon businesses and then and then optimizing and growing them and you know and and ensuring that uh 
that that we can really leverage some of the operational uh, skills that we've built up over time. So you know, I'll leave it. I'll leave it there for the time being. But that's that's kind of where that's kind of the story in a nutshell. <laughs> what I mean, it's a really fascinating story. I, I'm I like a lot. There's a lot that we would like to dig into on this as well because. I mean, it's it's neat. You started as a commodities trader, um, and then I mean, moved into this. I mean, a lot of products are commodities on Amazon. <laughs> You're trading them, uh, but yeah, just that you the, all that institutional money that is involved in that, and then you were a force. Like he had uh, the site to see what was coming up in the Amazon landscape because you were ahead of the curve on this. Thinking about buying brands or buying companies that were selling on Amazon was not something that people were talking about especially in 2016, like you're talking about with that. Um, and and it's, it's neat to see that you were thinking about that ahead of time and then going through all the motions of actually launching your own private label brand, wholesale model. I love that. And, and those you're still running right now that you launched? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in testing, iterating and doubling down on your success. Right. And just and just testing and experimenting with a bunch of different things. And um, and I guess my commodities days made me very, I guess, adaptable uh, to a changing environment because, you know, you, you know, one second the market's bullish and now you need to be buying product and then that's bearish and now you need to be selling. And so, like, you're constantly trying to pay attention to the macro picture um, and then and then potentially changing strategy and being opportunistic based on uh, based on the macro picture there. And um, so I guess that was to some extent good training for Amazon because it is such a dynamic space and it's moving so quickly. And so my view has been to try something. If that doesn't work, try something else. If that doesn't work, try something else. And like, if you keep experimenting and you keep uh, doubling down on your successes, in my, you know, in my mind, it's a recipe to do very well. And at the moment, what we're doing now is, is working very nicely. And so we're doubling down, tripling down, you know, uh, at the moment and we'll and we'll just see how this whole space unfolds it's it's a very exciting time uh you know you know if you're if you're you know if you're thinking about what business to start i mean i've got friends of mine who have also left glencore and other places and they ask me what you know what what do i suggest they do and my answer to everybody at the moment is go start an amazon business because um you know people say well it's too competitive now and it used to the glory days were in 2016 and you know reality is i actually think now is a better time than ever um, because of all this interest that's coming to the space, uh, it's it's a really good time to be to be getting into the Amazon game. What are some things that you you're seeing now that are different back in 2019 when you first started? What what's different about the landscape about acquiring businesses than they were back in 2000, you know, early 2019 or late 2018? Well, I mean, well, first of all, in you know, nobody was doing it in 2018. It was there was you know there was one of them, and it was pretty much the rest, and maybe a couple of smaller other guys out there. Um, same thing 2019, no one was really doing it. It was only 2020 that guys really started paying attention, which was a product, obviously, of the pandemic, um, the billion-dollar raise within two years, the fastest ever. And then, and then you know, Anchor, I think, you know, the consumer electronics company, they IPO'd in China close to $10 billion. And so a lot of people who used to say you can't build a real brand on Amazon suddenly had to, you know, relook at that theory, <laughs> right, because of Anchor. So, so all of those three things had a, had a big impact, I think, on on people coming into the space, um, so I, I think I think in terms of what's different, um, one is that just the number of people coming into the into the space. Two is the amount of capital obviously coming in. Um, Amazon are 
Amazon is always dynamic and, and changing things. And I think their advertising platform is becoming more sophisticated too, right? I think Amazon is starting to realize there is, there is a search engine as much as they are an e-commerce store. Uh, and that I imagine will continue to be the case. <clears throat> so yeah, there's a few changes. I mean, it's a very exciting. <laughs> it's a good time. When, when looking to acquire a brand, what what's your wheelhouse? What's your sweet spot? What what does a brand need to be doing for you to be interested in acquiring them? Yeah, yeah. So we look for brands. You know, in I mean, first of all, there's a size threshold, right? So I mean, you know, we'll look at businesses that are half a million dollars of um, of EBITDA or SDE, as we call it in the Amazon world, the seller's discretionary earnings. Um, so like 500k is probably the the low end, um, and you know, nowadays we'll look up to anything that's uh, seven, eight, nine million dollars of EBITDA. Uh, we haven't yet bought a business on the on the on the top end of that, um, uh, but we plan to hopefully, you know, hopefully soon. So, so yeah, in terms of size, that's what we're looking at, and yeah, and then you know we're looking for businesses that you know ideally have uh, have very very strong reviews, right? So I mean, like if it's got four point seven, four point eight, four point nine stars, that's attractive to us. If it's got three point nine stars, not as interesting to us. As an example, um, you know the number of reviews obviously is important, and obviously that's a relative that's relative to the industry and the and the particular and the particular sorry relative to the category and the particular niche that it's in. Uh, so, you know, so we want it to be ideally have the most amount of reviews in a particular category, um, and or be at the top of the page, right? So that's something that we're interested in. Um, you know, because that creates some type of moat and some type of barrier for other guys to to potentially compete. Um, we look for businesses that are easier to digest. So we prefer a business that has five SKUs versus one that has 500 SKUs, hmm. right? Uh, that's, a, that's a strong preference for us. Some people prefer businesses that have more SKUs because it's more diversification. Uh, for us, you know, the diversification sits within our portfolio because we have many different businesses so we prefer each one to be a little simpler to manage right or or have fewer suppliers you know if a business has one supplier versus 20 uh, we prefer the one that has the one supplier so you know those are some of the things i mean those are some of the core things that we look for obviously we we prefer to see businesses that are growing instead of declining uh we want to see a business you know that hasn't gained reviews or used black hat to do any of that kind of that kind of stuff uh yeah, those are some of the those are some of the key metrics we look for. What about it, like the growth opportunities for a company? So, like, let's say you had Company A that was already in every marketplace on Amazon, or or at least in the main ones, Europe and America, and and, and versus somebody who wasn't yet, but you guys maybe could take them to that level, and that would be where there could be growth. Is yeah. it which one of those is a better scenario for you as a buyer? Yeah, it's a good, it's a great question. Um, you know, I would say today we still prefer businesses that have not pulled every growth lever. And I can tell you very few businesses we've looked at have pulled every growth lever, even if they are selling, even if they are selling in multiple marketplaces and they've taken it to Europe and taken it to Mexico and Canada as an example. You know, oftentimes um, some of, you know, the entrepreneur selling it is really talented and skilled, um, but doesn't have a huge team. So it's difficult for them to be world-class at branding and creative and PPC and customer service and supply chain and multi-channel on Amazon, off-channel, uh, off Amazon, driving traffic from, you know, off DSP ads and things. It's difficult for someone to be really world-class at all of those things. Although, you know, you, you know, you do see people who are really, really talented in, in some of those areas. 
Um, so yeah, for us, it's a preference to for there to be some growth growth upside, right? Where we can pull a few levers to grow it. Um, and, and because we have such a strong team in all of those areas, uh, because, uh, you know, so we, you know, we've always, I mean, in every one of our businesses, we've to date, we've been able to pull some levers to generate some growth. Um, so it's not that we wouldn't look at a business that's already highly optimized. We certainly would. Uh, and, and we certainly would want to buy that. Uh, but if you're asking me my preference, obviously, if you can grow your business more easily and there's more upside, like that's something, all, all other things being equal, price being equal and all, all else being equal, that's probably a, a, you know, a preference. You mentioned some of those growth levers. What are some of the easiest ones that sellers can do to increase their EBITDA? You know, if a seller's doing 400K, well, how can they get to that next level of 500 or 750 to, yeah. to be more entertaining? So the low-hanging fruit, I would say, number one is supply chain, believe it or not. The unsexy stuff that is, you know, a seller who's been out of stock a lot uh, is leaving a lot on the table, right? Because it hurts it hurts your sales, it hurts your ranking, it hurts your momentum, it hurts the flywheel. So, so I mean, if there's a seller who's having stock out issues, and that could be for a number of reasons, right? It could be, it could be their operations, it could be their systems, it could be capital, it could be a number of reasons. Um, so, you know, if you can solve that issue, you, you can get a, some quick wins, right? And there's several companies today that you can go to and, you know, get some funding for your Amazon businesses. There's, there's a bunch of them out there and, and doing great work. Um, some of the other levers that we've seen great, you know, great uplift on is, is, is really spending time and money on the creative, right? And, um, you know, not, 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 not necessarily letting your best friend tell you whether it's a good, a good or a bad video or a good or a bad image. Like, actually A-B test that in the in, in the marketplace, right? And there are a bunch of tools out there that you can use to do that, but you really want to thoroughly test that because the difference between a really highly optimized hero image and a non-optimized hero image, you know, could be 50% in, uh, you know, could be 50% difference in sales. Not all, it's not always going to have that kind of that kind of impact, but it, but it certainly could. Um, so a highly optimized hero image and gallery is obviously important. It's such a visual platform. Now, people don't really want to read, I don't think. I mean, like a lot of people just aren't sitting there reading your description and titles. They want to see all the information they want to see in your gallery. A really beautiful video, I think, is important, A-plus content. So, so that stuff is, is very important. And then I would say the last piece where we've seen a lot of money left on the table from guys is, is just is PPC, right? Just being really, really efficient with your ad spend, um, your keywords, your negative keywords. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that we come across where – you know, a couple of very quick, quick fixes would have, would have, you know, optimized someone's tacos from, you know, 15% to kind of 4%. And not that, not that a low tacos is, ne is necessarily the thing you're striving for, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you want to increase, sometimes you buy a business and the, and the tacos is 3% and, you know, you could, you could generate outsized returns by increasing that to 7% because you're getting so much more of that long tail kind of keyword. So all of those things are, are important. And that's kind of the thing about our industry is like there's no one wonderful bullet. You know, it's it's just doing a lot of lot of a lot of things really well. You know what I mean? Because every business is different. Some businesses you look at and and optimizing the video gets you 20% growth, and the other one it's supply chain, the other one's PPC. Sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes it's adding new SKUs. Uh, sometimes it's rebranding it somehow. Uh, the packaging, you know, so it's 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 often. Uh, a combination of those things, and it's always something, something a little different. And each each business is a special little snowflake and and kind of unique in its own little way, right? 
<laughs> yeah, it, I like all the stuff you're talking about. Um, and it, it, like like you mentioned earlier, it's the landscape's constantly changing and testing so important. I mean, Chris and I, we talk to sellers all the time, every day. And, you know, they're always, what would you do in this situation? And the answer is usually you test it, <laughs> you know, figure out what if that image works better than the other image. Um, and there's a lot to it. But I really like the point you brought up about I mean, Chris and I are perfect examples of one man shows. You know, these these we we wear a lot of hats in our different in our individual businesses. Um, we do probably some of them really well, and we do some of them probably really poor. Um, and we probably leave a lot of opportunities on the table. And at some point, we we would we are scaling outside of ourselves, and that's when selling the business becomes really attractive. I mean, what do you think is the right time? for somebody to sell their business yeah it's a it's a very good question and it's a very personal thing this right so there's no there's no there's no right answer because it's very subjective and depends on the person um it seems to me a good time to sell your business is a when it's got to a point where you don't feel like you can grow it easily anymore right so like maybe it's because in order to grow it you now have to hire a bunch more people and you don't feel like hiring you don't feel like you don't like managing people. Some people just don't like managing people. So you've grown the business and doing, you know, whatever it is, a couple million dollars in revenue and you have three people on your team and you know you need to hire another three or four to grow it and you don't want to do that. So like that might be a good time to sell. Or, you know, you need to go put in some additional systems where, you know, you need systems and processes because now you have a bigger team and you don't particularly like handling the process and the systems and um, you don't want to do that. And you can hire someone to manage that for you, but you don't want to, you don't want to manage that person either, let's say. Another good time to potentially exit the business. Um, sometimes you just have someone who's just exhausted, right? They've done it. They've, they've grinded it. Maybe they got black hat attacked and the listing went backwards and they finally got it back to where it was and like where it needs to be. And they're just like worn out and exhausted and they want to kind of do something else. Um, that's another good reason to sell your business. Uh, the other, the other time it's kind of opportunistic where you say, you know what, I don't, like my business is trading at four, you know, I can get four and a half times EBITDA up front for my business, let's say, or five times or whatever it is for my business. Um, I'm in a good position, like that represents more money than I ever thought I would have. Uh, it seems like a great time to take some chips off the table and maybe go and start another Amazon business. Um, who knows, right? I mean, we know what can happen in Amazon, right? I mean, like, you know, we have a portfolio of, of all these different brands. And if one of them gets black hat attacked and goes down, it's not the end of the world for us. We'll, we'll fix it eventually. But if this is your entire bit, your entire life and 98% of your life savings are tied up into this business, um, you're taking a big risk every day that you're not selling it, right? Um, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, of course, you're giving up upside if you sell it too soon. But at the same time, we've seen, we've had our account shut down three times, right? We've mm. been black hat attacked. We've seen market changes. Whether it's um, whether it's a niche that kind of changed and demand for kind of fell off a cliff, whether it's a pandemic, whatever it may be, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the future is never certain. And so, if someone's looking at it saying, "Yeah, wouldn't mind taking a few chips off the table here, and I could live a pretty pretty good life and start another Amazon business," oftentimes we see that as a good as a good reason why someone's looking to to exit their business. We just bought a business uh, from someone a couple of months ago. It was their fifth exit, right? So they get wow. it to a point. They, they, they grow the business, they get it to a point, manage it for a couple of years, exit, start the next one. Manage that for 18 months, two years, exit, start the next one. 
Um, you know, and that was a $10 million, $10 million acquisition we, we, we made from those guys. It was their biggest yet. So each one got bigger and bigger progressively. And they got better and better each time, right? And, and now they're playing with the house's money, so to speak, right? And so the, next, so the next one, they can afford to go for the fences and they can afford to go very aggressively at PPC and creative and make sure that they have the absolute best listing with the best PPC. And they can use that element of kind of brute force to break their way into the next one because uh, they've been successful. You know, they're not, they don't, you know, it's, it's interesting when a founder of a business has all their eggs in a basket. Some people, it tends to make them a little more conservative, right? And sometimes that's the right approach and sometimes that's the wrong approach. So, it, you know, it really depends and there's, there's a strong argument for it. Um, yep. Fifth, fifth exit. That's, that's talented. That, that's no emotion at all. Everything's a widget. Yeah. I, I really, that's the model that would be the most attractive to me by far. And I think Chris, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but you're fairly similar. We love the product research, the finding the new niches to go after. We love the early stages of branding and launching PPC campaigns, all of that. Um, but at some point the business starts to own you. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it gets to a point and that's where it gets difficult. So that that's attractive to me. And I think you're right about getting smarter every time. And that, this is what I want to touch on next because the second business, once you've exited and you start a new one, you know what you need to know ahead of time. You yeah. know what you guys are looking for. So when, when someone comes to you, what are things that are deal breakers? Like if they're structured, improperly or if they don't have their financials in order or if it's a if it's just a mess uh, what things are are deal breakers or things that you have to really work hard to overcome to to buy yeah yeah so you know typically um if there are too many SKUs, i mean if there's just hundreds of SKUs and it's you know it's complex to manage a business like that 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 might be not so attractive unless they have 80% of their sales coming from, you know, if it's the 80, 20, 80% 80 of the sales coming from 20%, then maybe we can rationalize because, you know, maybe you don't need to manage when you buy the business. Maybe, maybe you've, maybe you double down on the ones that are working. You don't necessarily focus on the ones that aren't working. So, so there's, there's caveats to everything, right? Sure. Um, uh, yeah. So for every answer I give you, there's, there's a caveat. So for example, someone might come to you and their business is declining and that's never a good sign. Because we, you know, when we buy a business, the thing we're looking for is sustainability of earnings. Mm -hmm. right? So when we buy a business, if you're paying based on the last 12 months, but that business is is driving, you know, is falling into a ditch, well, you don't want to catch the falling knife, right? But maybe the reason that it was declining was because, who knows, right? It might have been they had some supply chain issues with the, and the stock is now coming in, and you know, there could be a reason for that, a legitimate good reason for that, and you got to get your head around. Uh, whether it makes sense to kind of take that risk. Um, if we know for sure that there's a lot of black hat that's being that's being used because, you know, that's risky now. We take over the business. Amazon potentially shuts that business down. You know, i got to now then go explain to my shareholders how we just paid, you know, multi-million dollars for a business that just got shut down for doing black hat. That's not a good, com that's not a fun conversation to have, right? Thank God we haven't had to have that conversation. Um, so, <laughs> so... So that's another thing. Those are some of the, those are some of the kind of main reasons that, that you would get nervous about a deal. And for us, you know, the timing, if it's too big, kind of, you know, if it's doing, you know, $150 million of revenue, like it's probably a little out of our reach today, potentially. Um, and if it's doing, you know, 
sort of under under a million or eight hundred thousand dollars in revenue like it's probably a little too small for us today just given where we are uh, but there are plenty of other guys by the way that that would look at those businesses so yeah so that's that's just how we look at it today you previously mentioned four and a half five times multiplier is that where you're currently seeing the market go from from here on out uh, not really. I mean, it depends. I mean, we've, we, we've bought businesses recently at three times EBITDA, um, and we've had some that have traded, you know, a fair way higher than that. It depends on the business. It depends on the size. It depends on the characteristics. It depends on the growth profile. Um, you know, one thing is for sure is that the multiples have increased a little bit. Maybe it's half a turn in the, in the last kind of four months or so. So there has been a nice step up. Um, so, but as a result of that, we are seeing more sellers coming into the market looking to exit their business for the reasons that we discussed earlier. And um, it's just very interesting to wait and see how the multiple uh, trend continues or if it continues, because uh, in theory, uh, there should be a lot of people today leaving their jobs and starting an Amazon business. Like when you look at how attractive it is and how quickly you can build a multi million dollar business. Uh, you know, I would expect a lot of people should be leaving their jobs and coming to start an Amazon business. And I mean, there's already kind of a million people a year or something that come into the industry. And, um, you know, we know the numbers 68,000 are doing more than a million dollars in revenue. So every year, how many do more than a million dollars in revenue? Is it 10,000 people uh, or something? So there's a lot of new sellers coming into the space. And I would expect that that flywheel would continue to spin faster and faster. So as as you have more sort of capital coming into the space and the multiples go up, well, then you should have more sellers and more sellers brings more businesses to the market, which should then keep a, a kind of a cap on those multiples. So I don't know how much further it can go from here. Um, of course, anything's possible. It could go up, it could go up further. It could also go down further if, you know, if some of those people who acquire those businesses, maybe you're paying four or five times and if you're not able to grow that business and if you're paying because what's the cost of capital used to buy these businesses? You know, if you're borrowing high interest debt in the teens and you're paying five times for a business and you cannot grow that business and you have that portfolio, you know, that's not an attractive business model for an investor. So you have to be sure that you can either, you either have to have much, much lower cost of capital or you have to be sure that you can really significantly grow the business. And those two factors there dictate to some extent what price someone can pay for a business. Has there ever been a time when you acquire an Amazon account and it just tanks? Like after you've gotten it, uh, either black hat happens or the product goes out of stock and you can't get it back in or just an instance where you bought something, you're like, dang, I wish we didn't do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> we have a couple of interesting stories. Um, one of the most, one of one of the most, one of the businesses that I love the most, which is which is fun because it was one of the very first that we acquired, um, was quite a small, quite a small business um, that was selling. Um, uh, it was selling a beauty product, and we bought the and we bought the business, and then um, I myself actually went and tweaked some stuff with the SEO, the title and various SEO stuff. I went and tweaked it myself because I wanted to experiment. And um, that was a bad idea <laughs> because, you know, this, the changes that I made actually, I don't know if the algorithm is as sensitive anymore, but the changes I made like really sent the business backwards like 60%. Okay. And it took us, 
and that was one of our first acquisitions and it took us you know like two months to get that business back to break even now the business is up you know kind of 150 percent from from where we bought it so it's a huge success but at the time uh, there was a you know we sweat for a couple of months there trying to fix that and it just shows you how how careful you have to be with amazon and how a few you know a few because in general experimenting is a good thing and testing but just got to be careful with what you test with and how you test <laughs> what are what are some of the things you did? Like, how do you get how did you get it back to going good like it was? We just pulled it. We pulled all the levers. So we fixed the SEO. Uh, we got new images made, uh, and um, we optimized PPC. Uh, we added a new color variation to the product. So we did a bunch of stuff there. We just kind of pulled all those levers to be able to get it to move and. Uh, and we've now added we've added not just a new new color variation. We actually added new SKUs now, which are now starting to take off as well. So we should that business should continue to grow, and hopefully by the end of this year, that thing will be up three hundred percent from from where we acquired it, uh, you know, early twenty twenty. So, yeah, I wanted to ask that as well. Is that to me seems like one of the biggest opportunities when you acquire a brand is your ability to launch new products under that brand name that's sure. already established. So that seems like that is one of the avenues that you guys take. To improve yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that, that is true. Um, we've launched one of the things we've done really successfully is launch new SKUs. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're confident in our ability to do that. And by the way, you know, if the if the price of the assets continues to increase too much, like that's another thing you can do to just kind of mitigate and just start launching more SKUs. Um, so yeah, there is there is something of a formula to it, right? I mean, if you if you've done it a few times, there is kind of a formula, which is why each time you you do one of the you, you launch a skew, you just get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that I, I think I think it is I think I think it is a a, a really great way to um, to make money on Amazon. It's just launching new SKUs. Has there ever been a time where just getting another Amazon Seller Central account outweighs the brand you're trying to purchase? <laughs> Uh, no, in the early days when we were doing arbitrage, yes, that was the case because like, for example, if I wanted to buy some hokers and my account was restricted for hokers, but some other guy's account was, he was allowed to sell hoker. Well, if I bought his account, I could place this order and sell it through his account. We looked at that a bunch of times. We never ended up doing it. We eventually just got like approved for all the various different brands over time that happened. Um, but that would be the reason to do it. Like today, we certainly, I mean, we have many, many different Amazon. So like we certainly wouldn't do that today. But in the early days, that was, uh, that was, that was something we used to talk about. <laughs> yeah. What about you guys selling a brand that you acquired at one point? Is that a place where you see this space going where the, these accounts get traded around and there's a there's holding groups essentially for brands you, you know we have no intention of selling any of our brands today um but i would never say never mm -hmm. um, it, you know it could happen for example that we decide that we want to become specialists in health and beauty as an example i'm just picking a random example and we decide you know what we're going to double down in health and beauty and we're going to sell off and divest all of our you know other acquisitions that don't fall within that category and then we're just going to double down in that once in that one category so like that's a possible strategy where we may consider we're not there yet today and we may consider that in the future um but you know beyond doing that i don't have a reason to you know the idea is to is to buy them grow them build a portfolio 
uh, and really optimize them. So that's that's the strategy today. When you buy a brand, what's the first thing you do when you get it? When it's in your possession, what's the next thing you do? Uh, well, um, you know, we have an integration process. So that kind of, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to, of course, like that, getting it in your possession is a process, right, of, you know, switching out bank accounts and LLCs and sort of um, putting it under our ownership. And then from there, uh, it goes through, you know, the brands typically have already been audited by us, but like we'll go through an additional, like a, like an additional marketing branding audit uh, <clears throat> in order to just um, confirm the plan because until it's locked in, it's not locked in. So kind of confirm the plan and then you set kind of a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day optimization plan. Um, and again, it's, that, you know, what that plan is really depends on a case by case what the business is. Yeah. So from the perspective of a seller, what what can they expect from this process? So if somebody reaches out to you with, and, they're, and they're looking to sell or you reach out to them, vice versa, from that point until a decision's made on the sale, what what is that time frame like and what is that process like for them? Yeah, <clears throat> again, uh, it, it, it's a case by case. You know, in general, if someone came to us with a great business that we liked a lot and they asked us to bid on that business tomorrow, we could do that. Right. We could LOI in the business within a few hours if we needed to. Oftentimes a seller will say, hey, like, here's the business. I'm looking at it. I'm talking to a couple of people, you know, send me a bid next week. Right. So to, to a large to a large degree, it, it depends on the seller's timeline versus our timeline. You know what I mean? And and so <clears throat> uh, and so like once we but, but like once we submit a bid, Again, it depends on the seller. If they if they're if they're talking to three other people and they're trying to then negotiate, well, then the process may take a bit longer. If they come back to us and say, "Yep, I love your bid. I love you guys. Um, it's great." Well, then you know that process can can happen in you know uh, you can sign an LOI within you know twenty four hours, right? So it really does. It really is a large to large degree dictated by the seller. Uh, we move very quickly, right? I mean, that's something we can do really well, and we've got a really eliminate. And just nice guys, right? They actually make we, we try our best to make the plot the process pleasant. Um, and the feedback we get from sellers is, yeah, you guys know what's up. You ask the right questions, and you're good to deal with, and you're you're kind of pleasant. And we don't do high pressure sales tactics or any of that kind of nonsense. You know what I mean? Trying to build a long term business here and long term relationships, and so uh, we make the process enjoyable. So then once you've so essentially once you've signed the LOI, which is basically us putting in a price that we're going to bid for the business and the structure with which we want to buy it, uh, the underwriting process begins. And um, it depends on the complexity of the business, but usually you can complete underwriting within 30 days, right? If it's got 150 SKUs, it may take a bit longer. And if it's got one SKU, it will, you know, it should take, you know, far shorter than that. So it just, you know, it also depends on the complexity, but let's call that average 30 or 35 days to do the underwriting process. Um, and that's it, you know, pretty seamless. You know, you have the legal documents drawn up concurrently at the same time. And when everything checks out and, and um, you know, all we're doing with underwriting is to make sure that, you know, what you've told us is correct, right? So, yeah, you say your cost of inventory is $2 a unit. Okay, cool. Well, let's just double check that with the invoices and make sure that they stacks up with the bank accounts and make sure that everything just kind of uh, stacks up. And, uh, and that's the story. So, I mean, it can happen very quickly. And um, we're very efficient at it now. We've been, we, you know, we've done a bunch of these things, and our team is is very experienced and um, 
And we've got it kind of down to a fine art now, I would say. Right. So. Are there certain categories that you stay away from? We have avoided supplements to date. We haven't yet done anything in supplements. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, and there are a number of reasons for that. Um, you know, one is we're concerned about, you know, regulation changes. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a drug called NAC, which was recently banned from Amazon. And so any supplement that had NAC in it now gets taken down. So there's, we're just cautious that um, a regulatory change could hurt that business. And so we just haven't, we haven't dove headfirst into that category yet. Uh, it may happen at some point. We have got some pet supplements businesses, just not human supplements. Uh, but beyond that, we're, we're, we're fairly open to, we're pretty agnostic and pretty flexible with which categories we focus on. Well, I got to tell you, I think the most important part is for someone like me, I mean, you, you really love your personal business and it's like selling a kid or something. I mean, you're like selling something you've worked really hard on to somebody. So making sure that the handoff is with the team that you really like, you feel will continue what you've started. That obviously the price has to be right, but that is important. Um, really important. Actually. And I would, is that, do you sense that from a lot of people that are selling their business? Oh yeah. It's a, it's a deeply emotional uh, milestone and event in someone's life. And that's not lost on us, which is why we try to trade, you know, carefully and nicely and friendly. Um, we put in a best bid that we can and we try and, uh, we try and be, we just try and make it an enjoyable process. Um, the price, of course, is important, um, but but oftentimes these deals are structured with an earnout component, where a, you know a portion of the a portion of the sales price gets paid out over let's say twelve or eighteen months, and the seller will benefit if we're able to grow the business. It kind of aligns everyone's incentives, um, and so what we found is because we've been doing this longer than others, and because we have a really good track record for growing these businesses. Um, that earnout, I guess, has less risk for some sellers than, than, than if they were to sell to someone else who doesn't have the same kind of track record and the same kind of experience in the space. So, like, it, it's a question mark whether they're going to get the earnout. Whether for us, it's not so much of a, I mean, it, it's not certain, but it's pretty, like, you can be pretty confident when we've done it so many times and we have such a strong um, performance across the portfolio, you're pretty confident that we will be able to achieve that. So, the upfront price is important. So is the earnout component important. Um, and, uh, you know, we get that feedback all the time that like, we met a lot of different guys, you guys bid the same price as everyone else, but we're going with you because we think you guys are great. We like you, you're experienced. Uh, we can see that the values of your values as a company align with kind of us as people and you're good guys and, and, and girls and, um, uh, you know, we, we're going with you so like that and like that, nothing gives us kind of greater joy than to kind of have. Uh, feedback from our sellers to say like, yeah, we're, we're, we're really happy with you. You know, three months, six months, could we stay in touch with all of our sellers? Nothing gives us greater joy to say like, guys, I'm really like excited about what you've done, the way you've optimized the supply chain, the way you've done rebranded the business. Like I'm super proud and, and uh, super happy. And, you know, thanks very much. You know, it's like, a, it's a, you know, it's one thing to make money in business, but it's another thing to build relationships and do, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, you're, to a large extent, you know, we're changing people's lives here when they're selling their business. You give someone a multi-million dollar payout, it's a life-changing event. Mm -hmm. uh, and and for us, that's just super exciting and super cool. 
Well, for anybody who's out there listening right now, and this is something they're considering, and they want to get in touch with you and your team, how do they do that? What's the best way to get in touch with you and to get this process started? Yep, you can you can email me, uh, Ryan at, elevate, at elevatebrands.com. Uh, and or, or you know Jeremy's our chief uh, our chief of M and A and he's Jeremy at elevatebrands.com uh, or you know just find me on LinkedIn Ryan Neeson on LinkedIn and uh, I'll, you know I'm 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 pretty good at getting back to people you know not not necessarily on the same day within a couple of days I'm pretty good at getting back to people on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Well, I encourage anybody who's listening right now who is thinking about potentially selling and exiting to definitely get in touch with you. Um, and Ryan, also, thank you so much for coming on. This has been, it's a fascinating topic. Um, you really broke a lot of this stuff down for us. I think it's really valuable for everyone who's listening. I know it's valuable for us as, as sellers ourselves. So thanks so much for coming on. We'll have to get you back on sometime in the future, maybe because this, like you said, the landscape changes. So we got to maybe have this conversation every six months to see where things are, maybe more. <laughs> changes Sounds great. But Sounds we'll great. That sounds good. And the next time I come in, I'll make sure my background looks a little more like yours, a little more character, <laughs> a little more personality in there. You're doing way better than when we started this podcast ourselves. We had nothing and our cameras were crappy and our, we didn't have microphones. <laughs> so nice. we, we, we had to up our game uh, slowly. So, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Cool background. But thanks. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. If you love content like this, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast or subscribing to our Facebook page or the YouTube channel where you can see the live streams of these. Uh, turn on notifications so you're notified of when great people like Ryan are going to be joining us. We go live almost every single day. And of course, if you're struggling with your advertising, if you're growing your business or you just started off and you need help advertising on Amazon or it's overwhelming, Solozo can help you. You can go to solozo.com. You can book a demo with Chris or myself. We'll walk you through the platform. We can talk anything Amazon that you want. We'd love to help out, but we can also show you how Solozo can help optimize your ads for you. So please do that. That's what you need. Otherwise, make sure you're listening to this content. Uh, and subscribing to everything. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Everyone, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Great to see you.